Father God, we just thank you for being in this place. And we thank you, Father, for, for beautiful little singers like Lily that are, that are willing to come and share their talents for your glory, Father. We thank you for just using imperfect people for your perfect will all the time, Father. And we thank you for all the veterans in the house who have stood up and fought against tyranny so that we can be here and we can be free to worship you in this country, Father. Father, we just love you so much, and we thank you for being here in this place with us. We thank you for bringing, here, bringing everybody here safely. Father, I just pray that as Randy brings this message, that you would just throw him aside, Father, that oh, you would speak through him. You, Father. And, Father, I just pray that you are glorified in this place today through all that happens here. And we pray it in your mighty and precious name. Amen. What a bunch of good-looking bunch of misfits out here this morning. Mercy sakes. Just look around. And look at the misfits that's in this room right in here. How good is it to be a part? I mean, I was at a church service several years ago, and I was talking to a friend a couple weeks later, and I told him where I attended church, and he said, well, what, what would you be going there for? He said, that's just a bunch of misfits at that place. And I said, you ever stop and think who Jesus gathered up for his 12 when he went to go spread and start the church? He had a bunch of misfits. And how cool is it to be a misfit for Jesus out here this morning, huh? Yeah. Bunch of uh, imperfect people trying to do the right thing in here to follow Jesus. And man, what? All right. Can all the kids come down here? Let's do a little uh, child ministry here or whatever, youth. Uh... Oh, they're already gone. All right. Well, here comes one. She stayed. They stayed. Yeah, come on down. Beautiful. Huh? Look at this pretty red bow. Come on down. We've got Matthew 14, 28, and 29, I believe it is. Instead of going here, what's your name, young lady? Josie. Can you shake my hand? Hi, Josie. How are you? What's your name, Red? Red Jackson. All right. What's your name? Huh? Kedron? Did you get in a boxing match with somebody? Huh? What's this deal up here? I got one of them. You got hit. I did too. When I Oh, looky here. How are you? What's your name? Austin. Can you shake my hand? You're pretty. All right, let's read this here. Then Peter called to him. This is out on the, they've already fed the multitudes and, and the guys are getting ready to go across to, and uh, leave Jesus. He said, I'll come over and meet you after I finish up here. And he said, then Peter called to him. Jesus is walking on, oh, here, come on down there, tree Rex. How are you, man? We got, here's another one. Come on down. Come on. What's your name, Rex? No. Tate. I just read Rex. I remember that right there. Well, maybe she doesn't want to here. That's all right. So. Yeah, that's good. Hold her right there. Good job. Good job. Most people do that after I get done. Instead of, <laughs> instead of before. Then Peter calls. So Jesus is walking across the pond out there. Here comes mom, maybe. 
and uh, he's uh, approaching the boat, and they look up, and the seas are, or this uh, uh, lake out there is swelling. The, the waves are coming over the boat, and and the twelve guys in the boat they're they're nervous, and these are professional fishermen. And uh, Peter, I love Peter. He's kind of the uh, the maybe not the loud mouth, but he's always the first one to raise his hand and speak. And so they thought it was a ghost coming across there. And Peter says, called to him, Lord, if it's really you, tell me to come to you walking on the water. And 29 says, yes, come, Jesus said. So Peter went over the side of the boat and walked on the water toward Jesus. All right, so tell me what Jesus said to Peter. When, Peter, when Jesus was walking on the water and he said, Lord, if this is you, if that's really you, tell me to come and, and uh, approach you. And what did Jesus say? Come. You know how we say that in cowboy language here? We're going to talk about it a little later. Get out of the boat. Huh? Jesus says, come on. Get out of the boat. You ain't going to do no good in there. We ain't going to prove anything. Get out of the boat, okay? So when you go home today, I want you to ask mom and dad, when they, when they get ready to talk about doing things, you say, get out of the boat. Let's saddle up. Let's practice playing catch. Let's get ready. Let's do something, huh? Get out of the boat, okay? We got to get out of the boat to make it happen. All right. We'll see you all later. Thanks for coming down. Thank you, man. True story. I'm going to start just a little different here. Uh, been known to write a little bit of stuff, and uh, true story about, uh, and we're going to talk about this a little later here too also, about not necessarily doing everything in uh, tradition, but let's do start this with a word of prayer. Everybody say hello to John Paul over there wherever he's at this morning. Are we on video somewhere? Hello, John Paul and Tammy and Gracie, huh? He'll be listening or somewhere there. We miss you. We love you. But uh, sure glad you're gone today here, man. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> Our dear Heavenly Father, we just come to you this morning. We love you. We thank you for a beautiful day here that we get to come and be taught and, and be lifted up. Let's find our grace here, Father, and be so thankful. Be ready to get rid of whatever is is blocking that uh, ability to receive the totalness that you have for us here this morning. We thank you for this building that we can come and gather in. That we, we also understand that the church is not this building. The church is the love of Jesus and the kingdom that lives inside of each and every one of us in our hearts. And Father God, uh, we give you the honor and the praise and the glory to be here and to learn and to worship you. In the name of Jesus, Father, everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, true story with the guy I grew up in high school. And it also, what's the little town that you come down out of Inglewood and the first town you come to? Is it Mayo? Huh? 
Mino. Okay, it's got a little church over there. I wrote this poem based on a, a guy I went to school with, and that little church says over there. It's called 24 Steps. And I wrote it 20 years ago, and I had a good memory then. Now I have to use this uh, little reminder. We hadn't seen each other for, I suppose, nearly 30 years, ordering hot dogs beneath the grandstands that were filled with rodeo cheers. He spoke first with, How you doing? Ain't seen you for quite a while. His teeth were either half rotted off or completely missing from his smile. Who is this guy with worn-out clothes, bad breath, and bloodshot eyes? His stringy hair and weathered skin made him hard to recognize. How's your mom and daddy, asked, then began to shake my hand. We as neighbors back in school, I then started to understand. Danny, how the world are you and where the heck you been? Back in that country one-horse town, we'd been the best of friends. I remembered on the playground, he always got picked first. I, I used to get so jealous sometimes I even cursed, but we as buddies, inseparable, two kids grown up complete till our senior year when our football team went without defeat. That night, instead of us dragging Maine, he thought I was too countrified. Just this once, as he walked by and climbed in with those city-fied. Twenty-four steps is what he took between our cars in the parking lot. What we didn't know about trouble, those guys had already forgot. He learned to drink beer and whiskey, then cigarettes that were filled with weed, cocaine and, and little white crosses. I, I think they called it speed. Ah, oh, he answered, you don't want to know. See, I've lived my life in hell, as you've probably already heard or by now can surely tell. He wiped a tear, his voice cracked, the crowd got bull riding loud. Just watched your son win the calf roping, man, you must be proud. Ain't seen my boys since got divorced. They moved when I was in rehab. I think he'd be 24 or 5, shoot, gave up on keeping tab. Heard Pertner got your ranch paid for down on the Cimarron. I sure do hate these part-time jobs that I've been working on. I lived 24 steps south, he said, of that only church in town. You knew they replaced the old one when the original one fell down. Well, shoot, I asked, since you're so close, you ever just walked on in? Nah, not since back when we was kids, he replied with a quivering chin. Too busy, I guess, or something. I just never took time to start. Figured ain't the place for nobody with my old hardened heart. And you? He quickly snapped right back. Yep, with my family and my wife. It makes a difference. It's never too late, but it comes with some sacrifice. Well, it was before the next annual rodeo when they called me on the phone. Weren't sure when Danny died was at his house there all alone. As I helped carry the casket, from his house to that church with the bell, I thought 24 steps is all it takes for the difference between heaven and hell. True story. All right. And I bring that up here today because we're going to talk about several of those things here. 
If we go to, uh, y'all want to be preached at today or taught to? What do you want to be here? I, I got both. I can either preach at you or we can, I, I'd rather not be considered, you know, on my, on my headstone when I leave this earth and get to go home, there's going to be two dates on my headstone, you know, one when I was born and one when I died. And then right between those two dates, there's this little dashed line right there. You ever seen that on somebody's headstone? A little dash between those two dates. What's that dash going to say about you on your headstone? You ever thought about that? It's everything that happened between the day you were born and the day you died here on this earth. What's that little dash mean? Well, I think about that sometimes. And uh, so... Uh, gosh, I just got to thinking about what mine's going to say, and it, I lost my train of thought where I was going to go to that there. But uh, it's kind of scary about what what that's going to say. But uh, anyway, we need to stop and think about that from time to time. And and uh, uh, where was I going with that? Oh well, stop and think about it some of the time. It's uh, it's it's what we're going to talk about here today. But uh, Here's a little deal that uh, makes me think about some of that. A little girl was dying of a disease that uh, her little eight-year-old brother had recuperated from fully here just a couple years before this, and his sister had acquired the same disease. and And the the boy or the doctor came in to the mom and dad and his little boy, and he said, "Well." Bad news is uh, your daughter, your daughter's uh, got the same thing, but uh, uh, the good news is a transfusion from her little brother here with exact time, save of blood is the only thing that can save her, complete blood transfusion. In the eyes of the little boy and said, uh, uh, little boy, doctor looked at the little boy and he said, uh, are you ready to do that? And he contemplated a little bit and finally looked up and he said okay doctor i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it so an hour after the transfusion was made and everything successful uh doctor walked back in and he'd been kind of watching his clock and the little boy looked up at the doctor and said okay doctor when do i die when do i die see he went into that thinking that if he gave his blood transfusion to his daughter, she gets to live, but he gets to die. So we're going to talk about that here a little bit here too. And the scripture that goes with that is, No one has greater love than this, that one that lays down his life for his friend. So I want to, I want to start with giving your all. We even, we even mentioned that a little bit about... Uh, up here in our song worship today. And how about the band and the drummer and the, where's our singer right here? Woo! That's some goosebump stuff right there. I appreciate it to have the willingness and the voice and the talent to do that. So um, you're blessed. You are blessed here. But uh, uh, giving it all. How many are willing to give your blood and a transfusion without knowing and actually thinking that you're going to die because you gave it all. You know, that's what 
God did with His Son, Jesus Christ. He gave it all. And I want, I want to relate that to our willingness to change. Our degree of success, whether it's running a cell barn or John Paul moving his family down here, you all voting to bring him in, Somebody give me a definition of success. Crowd participation. What's your what's your definition of success? Happiness and peace. Okay. Good. My definition of, of success is two ways. What your grown children say about you when they're grown. What your grown children say about you when they're grown. Huh? Yeah. That's a good one, huh? And the other thing is our ability to change. If we have the ability, how many people out here drive a Studebaker pickup today? Huh? Nobody, no, yeah. What happened to Studebaker? The automobile industry and the pickup truck industry went right on around them. They didn't change. They didn't adapt to the new needs and the new standards of building and manufacturing pickups. So they went out of business. And take that with anything today, you know. How many people still use this rotary tele telephone in here that hangs on the wall in the kitchen with a, a cord on it that would wrap around this building three times, huh? How many people still use one of those telephones like that, huh? Yeah, that's right. It's our ability to change. If we resist change, our degree of success in whatever we're doing in life is going to be a little less uh, easy, a little harder. Our degree of success is one way to uh, measure our success. Let's go to Peter here for just a second. And uh, we started here. How many people, you didn't answer my question. You want to be preached at or you want to be taught to? Appreciate that. I thank you for that. Because that's where I was going with that headstone deal a while ago. I don't want to have Randy Fisher was a mediocre preacher when he was alive. He was kind of an average old preacher. Now, if you said he was a bad teacher... That satisfies me more than a mediocre preacher. I don't want to be known as a preacher. Because when I get, when I think of being preached at, I get to nodding my head and it, and it goes in about halfway and then it kind of runs back out to the same. When I think of preaching, I think of growing up and just old-fashioned, you know, hellfire and damnation and it didn't do anything for me. I was 35 years old before I knew Jesus. Never, I had a perfect attendance in in church I grew up with, but didn't know Jesus till I was 35. So I like teaching. I want to be. I want someone there offering something that I want, and I want to receive it. Because I can tell you, when I was in third grade, I can't tell you what I learned in church back then, but I can tell you in third grade, I learned how to add two and two. I was a little slower than my other classmates at that time. They they figured that out in first grade. But point being is I want to 
be taught. I want to receive, take it in, retain it, and apply it somewhere down the road. And I think that's what we need to be doing with our truth of the word in here. I think it's part of the reason that golf courses and and uh, team roping arenas are full on Sunday mornings and you drive by a lot of churches and the parking lots are empty. We've made, we've, we've focused on um, the problem instead of the solution. So let's go back and start talking about Peter again here. Peter's my hero in the Bible. He's the guy that stood up in the boat and when uh, Jesus said, come on out, he says, keep your eyes on me. Jesus says, as long as you keep your eyes on me, everything's going to be good. I'm just getting ready to get to a good part. You sure you want to leave right now? Huh? Are you sure? Man, I'm getting ready to get to a good part. Go ahead. We'll wait on you. Go ahead. No, no, no. That's all right. I shouldn't do that here. Dang it. I shouldn't do that. Uh, so, we're talking about grace. And when Peter gets out of the boat, he's looking at Jesus with, just, with this awe, right? I mean, he's just awestruck. And Jesus says, keep your eyes on me. And Peter looks Jesus in the eye and he's walking on this water. And then all of a sudden he does what? Hey guys, look at me. Look at me. Bloop, 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 bloop. <coughs> Jesus has to reach over there and grab him out of the water because he So Peter is my hero. He's the guy that says, Let me jump out of the boat. Over here in uh first Peter three uh, where am I at here? First Peter five twelve. First Peter five twelve. Peter writes as he's finishing the first letter that he writes. He says, "I have written to you briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The true grace of God." Even those guys, the 12 original disciples, disciples knew that the most important thing that they had received and that they had learned with traveling with Jesus was the grace that is instilled in them individual, individually there. He says, <clears throat> so uh, I have written to you briefly exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which we stand so important to understand that and then over here in first peter 3 18 second peter 3 18 it says but grow but grow in the grace and knowledge of our lord and savior jesus christ to be him the glory both now and forever <clears throat> so not only do we learn from peter here that it is god's grace they're standing in Second Peter 3.18 says, what do we have to do with our grace? Grow. So important. So important. If we don't grow and we don't share and we don't give it away, how is God's kingdom going to expand? 
if those 12 disciples, disciples decided that we're going to grow and we're going to keep it right here, how many people would have been total count of the New Covenant Church? Twelve. It would have never got outside those 12 original disciples' uh, circle. So we have to grow and we have to uh, share it and we have to give it away. We have to give it away. Somebody give me an example of something they want to give away. They want taken away from your life. If I had the ability, which I don't, God does, and you do, give me an example of something you'd, have, you'd like taken away. There's an old country song out there that says, Happy Birthday, Darling. I'm not going to give you any fancy presents or fancy cakes, but I hope I make you happy by everything I take. Huh? Sound familiar? What would you like taken away? We, we don't like things generally taken away from us, do we? It's that possession. It's that worldly uh, human thing that we men, women, children, old, older uh, senior par parents, we don't like things taken away from us as a general rule. We like that possession. How about unforgiveness? Anybody like to have a little unforgiveness taken away from, from you today? Yeah, I do. I mean, I've got a pretty good habit of having forgiveness. But I know people today that they're so bent over, they're walking around like this because they're still carrying resentment and madness and anger from three days ago and 50 years ago and some 90 years ago. They just keep packing on that things that upset them, that make them mad. And instead of saying, God, take this unforgiveness away from me and give me that ability to have forgiveness one time, They'd be standing up here like this, but that weight of those old resentments, it gets you down here and you start packing them around for years and years. And first thing you know, you can't stand up because you're packing around all this unforgiveness. Who does unforgiveness damage? You, the person that uh, can't forgive, or the other person that you can't forgive? Doesn't hurt that other person near as bad as it hurts me for not being able to unforgive or to forgive. So. Let's take away some forgiveness here, unforgiveness. When Jesus died, God took away sin and forgave our sins forever and ever, all of our sins. For those of past and those for future, 2,000 years ago that affects you and me and 2,000 years from now that affect our family and our generations to come for he forgave all sin forever. How many times do we have to go and ask God's forgiveness two weeks from now for the sin that was in our life? We don't have to. He forgave it all one time. Jesus only had to die one time for that. It's very important to understand that. Okay? How about doubt? 
Anybody like to have some doubt taken out of their life? Yeah. Yeah. How many doubt, like me, that I'm good enough for God's kingdom? How many people doubt that I'm a good enough team roper to go compete with this guy and this guy and just, ah, yeah, well, by golly, my horse is not quite good enough and my old shoulder's getting, I doubt, I doubt myself. That's not God in there. That's the devil getting in our face and just playing doubt, doubt, doubt. You're not good enough. You're not good enough. You're not good enough to go to God's heaven. You're going to go, you're, you're, you keep sinning and so we just keep, filled with doubt and doubt destructs confidence doubt ruins game plans doubt uh, trumps positiveness in our life unless we what turn it over to God give it to God have have the the uh, ability to doubt taken away from us Father God, please take that uncertainty, that devil's face in my face of doubt telling me that I'm not good enough for you. There's nothing bad enough that you won't still love me for, God. Take that, take that temptation of believing the devil out of me. Take it away. I don't need anything for my birthday, Father. I want you to take away my doubt. Here's a good one. Anybody always, always in favor of tradition? Father God, take away the belief that we have to have tradition in our New Covenant church. That's as plain and simple and honest as I can get. You know, we do a lot of things in modern day New Covenant Church that Old Covenant, the law of Moses dictated that the Pharisees and those that were making the rules of church back then, we brought some of those forward and some of those rules and some of those traditions are so meaningless, are so time-consuming, are so distracting that it is crazy. What's what's the seven words of a the most powerful seven words of a failed church that was powerful at one time with the love of Jesus and the Holy Spirit? What's the seven most famous words? That ain't the way we used to do it. Nine words, excuse me. That ain't the way we used to do her. Well, you went out of business doing it the old way too. I hate to tell you. It's meaningless. And I'm not going to get into this is the one that I'm talking about or this is the one that I'm talking about. But I'm telling you, those forefathers, those Pharisees that knew Scriptures from beginning to end and could recite the, the rules, all 613 of the rules that were given to Moses that we were running our lives based off of rules and it doesn't work in the spiritual world that God's in today and that we are fed and that we live in God and God lives in us and we are indwelled by that. If 
if you were out deer hunting or pheasant hunting, which I was yesterday morning, opening season up there, uh, and we saw two deer, just for all you guys deer hunter down here. But if I was 18 again and driving the country roads with me and my buddies and the rule, there was a sign on the country road that said, no shooting signs. What are we going to do? Boom, boom, boom. Huh? Rules. We don't, rules are made to be broken by the worldly flesh that we live in. It's just the way it is. Prohibition came to this country 100 years ago. Thou shalt not manufacture or drink whiskey. What do we do? Get your steel out there behind the barn and hide that son of a gun and make some whiskey. Drink it. Rules. Can't do it. Rules are made to be broke. Those rules were replaced by grace in the new covenant church. Is that an amen? Does everybody understand that? Do you understand that tradition thing that was made 2,000 years ago that we're still doing some of it? We don't need it. Some of it is flat contrary to the love of Jesus and our growth in our grace. Some of it is in direct opposition to that. Get rid of it. Well, that's the way we've been doing it. Well, doesn't make it right. I was, yeah. Think all kinds. Here's the, really the best one I want to get to here. Instead of getting, receiving something here, how about let's take away the worry of the enemy? Anybody like to have the worry of the enemy completely out of your thought process? You ever went to bed at night and had a tough time going to sleep because you're worried about this and you're worried about that? And the devil, he sneaks in your bedroom and climbs up on that pillow and gets inside your head and he's got you worried about... That ain't God. That ain't the love of Jesus trying to keep you from going to sleep. You wake up, you finally get to sleep, and at 3.30, oh, my gosh, yeah, oh, my How many people would like to have the worry of the enemy taken away from you? You bet. I mean, it's, it's poison, and he's all around. He disguises himself. That enemy's pretty good disguiser. We've got to get to that point where we've got to block him out of our system. What is the opposite of that? Instead of worrying about the problem, what should we be doing? What is scriptural? Replace him with the love of Jesus. Replace the worry of the enemy in your face with spending time with Jesus and guess what's going to happen? You're going to grow. The kingdom of God right here is going to grow. And by spending time with Jesus, His love is going to grow inside you. His love, it's that whole deal that who we spend time with. How many people have ever not spent time with your best friend? Huh? Growing up as a kid... 
How many of you made a best friend with someone you never spent time with? Doesn't seem possible, does it? It ain't. It ain't. You can't, you can't become best friends with Jesus and you can't expect His love to grow any, in, in, in you and you and Him unless you spend time with Him. And if you pray for that absence of the enemy in your face and replace it with scriptures that I had two when I started. I heard this. It's kind of like Billy Graham. Everybody ever hear Billy Graham in 1950s give a message? How about the 60s? How about the 70s? Anybody hear him give a... How about the 80s? Anybody ever hear Billy Graham give a message in the 80s? Or the 90s? 2000? Huh? What changed from the time that you heard him in the 50s compared to, you know, the early 2000s? Nothing. His message stayed the same. It's the truth of right here. He didn't have to. But he did not spend any time with the enemy. He spent time in the truth of this Word in here. He not only was indwelled with the Word. Somebody uh, go to 1 John John or uh, John 1, 1. Somebody bark out John 1, 1 and 1, 2. You don't even have to read it if you want to. Just holler it out off of your memory if you want to. How many of us are writing this down? You told me earlier you wanted to be taught to. When I was in third grade and fifth grade, I had my little big chief tablet with a number two big pencil, and I was writing stuff down. My little old pinhead brain wasn't big enough to process and retain and understand that. Where's your pad? Where's your pencils? I'm serious. Look at this Bible. I think I talked about it the last time. It's so marked up and fallen out of its cover. It's because I'm learning something out of it. It's not just a coffee table decoration ornament in here. When you come next week, bring your Bible and bring a notebook with a pencil so that you can take it home. Because you know what my biggest hope is here today for each and every one of you my biggest desire is that you do not believe one word that i'm telling you up here today i'm here to tell you you're a big son of a gun and i'll i'll pick a fight with you right now and i'll bet you tomorrow the sun comes up in the west tomorrow morning you want to bet huh i would advise you because it ain't ever come up. You got pretty good odds. You got pretty good odds. But I'm telling you, how are you going to prove me wrong? If I bet you that sun's going to come up, at, you're going to get up at sunlight in the morning and see which direction the sun comes up. If I tell you something that's out of my interpretation of this Bible, I want you to go home tonight and tear into this thing and open it up and find out if what I'm telling you is the truth. Because it may not be. Huh? Do you ever think about that? I don't have a license anywhere to say, I swear to God that I tell the truth, the whole truth, nothing but the truth, so help me in this Bible. Now, I attempt to, and I think I am, and I pray that I do, but 
I want you to go home and dive into this the same way I did 30 years ago. I told you a while ago, I wasn't saved. I didn't know Jesus till I was 35 years ago. And that's been <clears throat> 30 years ago. I'm 65 years old, and I'm still learning. But I was listening to uh, tapes this morning coming up here from Garden City, and I was taking notes over here. It's almost like texting. Not supposed to be doing that. Slap back of my hand. I was writing notes down. Oh, man. Go to Hebrews 10. There's some good stuff in Hebrews 10. I'm asking you. I'm challenging you. Because you got to get out of the boat. You want to grow? You want this church to grow? You want God's kingdom to grow? Get out of the boat. It is not John Paul's responsibility to grow the kingdom in you. It's my responsibility to do that. Huh? That's right. He's not the hired gun to come in here and say, I want, I want John Paul to save you, 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 and you, and you, and you, and you, and go up and down that line. He, he can't do it. He's not physically capable to do that. Where is the kingdom of God? Where's the kingdom of God right now? Right here. It's in my heart. Can John Paul grow God's kingdom in my heart? He can give me some tools. He can give me some encouragement. He can give me some teaching. If he preaches at me, it's just going to go one ear out the other and it'll never get down here. Now, I don't know about you as a student and receiving, but I got to write it down. I got to see it. I got to hear it. I got to write it down. I'm telling you, I ain't the brightest bulb in the box over there. I got to have some repetitive of this learning stuff. Last thing we're going to talk about is getting out of the boat. Getting out of the boat. It says God is love. Back here in my Bible, it says God is love. How many of y'all have, isn't that cool to be a cowboy, standing up here at a cowboy church and you can say ain't? Huh? And fixing on. I'm fixing on going to Justin McKee's over here at Linnapa. As soon as we get done here, I'm fixing on going to eastern Oklahoma. Ain't that cool you can say fixing on up here? I love it. How many people are ready the definition of insanity is doing the same thing today and expecting different results six months down the road from now. How many people want to grow the kingdom inside your heart today and keep doing exactly the same thing you're doing today? Ain't going to happen. Ain't going to happen. You got to start doing something today. I'm asking you to get out of the boat. I'm challenging you to get out of the boat. I feel the spirit welling up in me right now. The hair standing up on this long sleeve shirt inside there on the nap of my neck. He didn't send me up here to entertain you guys the same as 
my preacher and teacher back there 30 years ago wasn't in an entertainment personality contest to see if I liked him and he liked me. He was there to teach me the only way you're going to get closer to God is by getting out of the boat and figuring out what your ministry is. I had no idea. Don't go asking him what it is. Spend time with Jesus. He'll give it to you. He'll tell you. Don't go in prayer tonight and say, Oh, Father God, tell me what my ministry is. I want to take the shortcut. I don't want to spend 30 years like that dumbhead Fisher did. I want to get there the day after tomorrow. Huh? I want to build God's kingdom. And God's kingdom, in the New, in the New Testament, when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, and it looks, it says, teach. They didn't ask Him to preach the, the way to pray. It said, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And it says, everybody, our who Whoop, let's stop right there. Thy kingdom come. Who's he talking to when he says thy? We're talking to God. Our Father who art in heaven, your name is special above all things to us. Thy, your kingdom. So who is thy and you're referring to? God, your kingdom come now. Where did they ask for the kingdom to come to? On or in? In heaven and earth. Thy kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. How many people have to die to go see God's kingdom? Huh? How many people want to think you got to die to go see God's kingdom? No. No, we don't have to die to go seize God's kingdom. What do you think this is right here? Huh? I'm here. Here's my kingdom. Where's your kingdom? My kingdom lives right here. I am God. I am Jesus. I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Here's my kingdom. The only way I can make God's kingdom grow is to grow right here. Thy kingdom come on earth. Right here it is. As it is in heaven. We don't need to go die. Yeah, it's going to be a different spiritual world when we get there. But what's wrong with spending 80, 90, 30, 40, 50 years of being in God's kingdom right here and being Jesus, be the Jesus, be the Holy Spirit to yourself, to your friends, to your family, let others see Jesus in you because that's God's kingdom. You know, we've got Muslims living in Garden City, Kansas, and I don't want to be like those guys. I want to be like the people that I see have Jesus living in them. People you guys run into in your everyday life may be the closest thing to seeing Jesus here in earth's kingdom that they ever will. Be Jesus. You are Jesus. Be Jesus to them. Here's the kingdom. Last thing. Man, I'll bet I'm... Have I used up seven minutes yet? I love it, the fact that the cafe closed in here. 
Nobody's smelling all that pot roast in there and the fried chicken. I don't think there's a restaurant open in Woodward, Oklahoma today. I'm pretty sure there's not, so there's no need for us to hurry up and get out of here and beat the Methodists and beat the Catholics to the smorgasbord because there's not a restaurant open in Woodward, Oklahoma today. Probably not a bad idea to look at for an income revenue stream if y'all are looking for some way to make a little money. Probably a burger joint or a fried chicken joint wouldn't be a bad idea because right now I'm just, I'm pretty sure, pretty sure Oklahoma guarantee that there's not a. All right. Last thing we're going to talk about. Got to get out of the boat. We've got to take it away. And I had a buddy young guy from Canada stop in uh, my place 10 years ago, 12 years ago probably. And we got through team roping that day, and he was roping pretty good. And everybody understands the handicap system like in golf. You're a three, which means you're three strokes over, hand, over par. And in team roping 20 years ago, some guy invented a system that he numbered team ropers from 1 to 10 based on your individual ability so that when you went to spend a couple hundred dollars, you could compete with guys on your same level. You didn't have to compete with guys that make a living with a rope in their hand. So if you were a number 1, that was a very beginner. A number 3 was roping very uh, sporadically and not very consistent. And then if you were a 7, you were getting pretty salty. And if you were a 9 and a 10, you were making the world finals in Las Vegas at the PRCA world finals. So we got through practicing, and this 16-year-old uh, kid, I said, what number are you anyway? And he said, I'm just a 3. I'm just a I said, what do you mean you're just a 3? He said, well, I'm just kind of embarrassed. I'm just a 3. I said, you're 16 years old. How long you been roping? About four years or two two years. And, I mean, this kid was good. He was, he was a good kid. So I said, hey, Jesse, you don't have to be embarrassed to be a three. What I want you to tell me is when somebody asks you what number you are as a team roper, say, hey, man, I'm a three. I, you know, you don't have to go into, I, I just bought a new horse, and I've been using the same rope, and I had a flat tire and a horse trailer coming down, and my wife she and my, my mother doesn't want me to rope, but my dad does, and, and blah, 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 just noise is all that is, you know. It's just an excuse. And I said, what number are you? He said, I'm just three. I said, well, I tell you what, I'm a six, but I am on my way to be a seven. I can't wait to get out of bed every morning to go work my tail off, to be disciplined in the practice pen, and... To, to run some quality. I said, I'm excited to work to be a number seven. So, uh, you don't have... Let me ask you something. What number of Christian are you? On a one to ten scale. Don't show me any signs or anything. And I'm not going to ask you to rate me. You know? Some of you may have me clear up there to four or five, and I'd be a long ways below that, in my opinion here, you know. I mean, that's kind of where Jesse was with his team roping. That's between you and God. There's only been one number 10, and that's Jesus. But let me ask you, what number of Christian are you today? 
Have you asked yourself that? I also spoke to some barrel racers here a while back, and I said, how many still have a, a, a futurity horse is like a three- and a four-year-old horse? And some of these barrel racers still have a 12-year-old futurity horse in their barn because they've never advanced him far enough to be uh, competitive against anything as young as a three- or four-year-old. I don't want to I don't care if you're a one or a three or a seven. I just want to see the growth in God's kingdom that when I come back a week from today or five years from today or ten years today, you show up at my funeral to see what that little dash on my headstone says. I want you to say, man, Randy. I'm a seven on my way to being an eight, and I'm excited to be there. I can't wait to get up every morning. That's where we're at here, folks. It's an action. You got to get out of the boat. It's action. What are you going to do? What's your ministry? I can't tell you what it is, but Jesus can when you spend time with Him. Somebody go to 1 Corinthians. 3.11, and we're out of here. 1 Corinthians 3.11. What's it say? Y'all need to be doing your homework. I'm going to scold on you here a little bit. I'm going to help John Paul's job become a little easier. You guys been here for a year. And I don't feel the sense of urgency on your part to be taught to. I don't feel that. I feel the presence of the Holy Spirit right now. But I don't feel the urgency of this church needing to get out of the boat. And that's not John Paul's fault. It's John Paul's credit that you all are gathered here. I don't feel the urgency for anybody to do that. We ought to have youth. We ought to have parents. We ought to have people jumping up and down with, I know that one. I know that one. Randy, 1 Corinthians 3.11 says, For no other foundation. This is what I told Jesse when he told me he was a three. I said, Jesse, go read 1 Corinthians 3.11. It says, For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Where's your foundation to build your kingdom coming from? Huh? Where is it? I want to hear it. Where is it? Jesus Christ. It's scriptural. It's not my definition. I'm here to encourage you to get a fire lit, to go saddle up. It's time to saddle up around here, folks. It's time to saddle up. If you want to go to race cars, go to a race car ministry, it's time to start your engines. If you want to go to football camp, it's time to flip the coin, get the football out. If you want to, if you want to go... Be on your yacht, sail around the world. It's time to raise the sails. 
It's time to get out of the boat, folks. Insanity is doing the same thing we're doing today and expecting God's kingdom to be growing in my heart and my life today. Whose responsibility is that? Let me hear everybody say, it's mine. Let me hear everybody say, it's my responsibility. Let me hear everybody say, it's time to get out of the boat. Some of you weren't saying that. They were kind of, <laughs> you're embarrassed that somebody next to you might hold you accountable. If you do not mean it, don't say it. If you mean it, say it's time to get out of the boat. Our dear Heavenly Father, we come to you this afternoon. I'm sure it's well into the afternoon. and I don't apologize for going over here, Father. I thank you for the Spirit that wells up inside of me. I thank you for being indwelling into my very existence and being who I am in you, Jesus, and, and, and you and me, Father God. I pray that we can learn to take some things away that we need taken away. Make room for the Holy Spirit to grow inside of our hearts, but to take away from that to begin with. Then we can receive what you have for us fully. Father God, it's time to get out of the boat. It's an action to be a Christian. We've got to get rid of what we have holding us from moving forward and going from a three to a four with enthusiasm and from a five to a six. doesn't matter where we're at, Father, as long as we're on a growth pattern to enthusiastically be filled, receive, and then share it to give it away. Father, through Your cross, You took, you took sin completely away from us. Through Your death, your work is finished. We don't have to worry about any other competition, the enemy, the devil. With what your son did, Father Jesus, on that cross, he made room for that because he took all sin away from us forever. Through your burial and through your resurrection, Father God, you gave us life. You gave us a seat at the right hand of the Father God here. And it's that life, Father, that fills me and identifies who I am. Father God, let me realize today that it's my responsibility to get out of the boat, to love you, not to outserve you, but to see if I can outlove you, Father. Spend time with you. We love you. We pray for safety. We pray for illness for those who have lost loved ones. Father, we're here to pray for Thousand Hills Ranch Church to further your kingdom. We love you in the name of Jesus. Amen. They came from near, they came from far, following a distant star to where he lay. 
Not being sure of what it meant But knowing it was heaven sent They made their way And the creatures gathered round And didn't make a sound And the angels cried I've often thought about that night And wonder if they realize That star so bright Was sent to tell all the land The reason God would soon become The Son of Man And the creatures gathered round didn't make a sound and the angels cried Father, we just love you, Lord. We just thank you, Father, for your word. We thank you that you are always so faithful to forgive us when we fall short. Help us to, to, to walk more in your path, look after you, and try to our best to be like you. No, we will fall short, but we appreciate your love, Father, and mercy. Just thank you, Father, for this church. I just pray you'll continue to bless it. I pray you'll bless all the the people that are here, Father. The people that were on our prayer list, we just lift them up, uh, whether they're fighting financial problems or spiritual problems, physical, mental, whatever the case may be, Father. I just pray, Father, that you'll embrace them. I know you will. Just let them feel your love and give them hope. And, Father, we just give you thanks for all you do for us, and we love you in Christ's name we pray. Amen.